All right, we got John Rodriguez here, and I'm Tom from Viral Solutions. So welcome, John. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Thomas. I'm always glad to be with you. All right. Hey, can you give us a little background on your experience with uh, churches and nonprofits? Sure. Well, I don't, I'm not one to like to talk about myself, but I you know. know sometimes people are interested in where, what you've done and, and uh, where you come from. And I grew up, was born and raised in Texas in a small town of Hereford, Texas, and amongst a lot of cattle. Uh, my parents are both from Mexico, immigrated here, and uh, migrant workers. And uh, so was raised, born and raised in Texas, more cattle than people. Uh, and so we never went hungry, you know, you got two million head of cattle in your county, you're always going to have something, you know, available. And um, at the young age of 16, I got called into ministry, felt like the Lord really put it on my heart. I kind of ran from it. I wasn't maybe not running like most people, but I didn't understand it because I really loved the business side of things. My parents had restaurants. And so I just really loved the business piece of it. And then as time progressed, the Lord began to share with me that it was on the business side, you know, he's, you know, kind of filled my heart with the idea of saying, you know, great ministries and great churches need business. And that's the area that I really loved. And so during my time of running, I worked for a great company based out of Alabama, Alabama Truck and Equipment Company. We manufactured aerial devices to work on power lines. I got to travel the world, 38 countries in my late my 20s, early 30s. And so I got a lot of global experience with that, helped open offices abroad. And um, then uh, came to a, a beautiful church by the name of Water Life Church in St. Joseph, Missouri, and was a member there. And uh, once God called me to the ministry, I went to Columbus, Ohio to work for Breakthrough, uh, Pastor Rod Parsley. I worked on all his uh, crusades and donor development. And so that was kind of my putting my toe in the water into ministry and then ended up being the executive pastor back in St. Joseph, Missouri uh, for seven years. Uh, and that just we, we went from 700 church members to 4,200 church members in about seven and a half years. Wow, that's, that's I call that baptism by fire. That's what you learn. Wow, I can't even imagine. So when I talk about ministry, I talk about you know things that we've done, things that I've done. I don't speak in theory; I speak in the reality of what a ministry is like. Uh, serving as as part of the executive team of a church that was thriving and growing, and then uh, seven and a half years later, uh, the Lord kind of put it on my heart to have a more of a global presence. I was happy where I was. I lived on a street called Lovers Lane and had a great ministry position and was very comfortable. Not a good thing. Don't ever get comfortable because then the yeah, Lord's yeah. just going to put it on your heart to do something different. And so right. I was excited. I took a position as a chief operating officer for global operations for Joyce Meyer Ministries. And that's where I live now in St. Louis and worked there and just really was involved. We had 18 offices abroad, over a thousand employees. Um, just an incredible organization. Love the ministry, love Joyce, love what they're doing. And then uh, I, I was there. And after that, my the Lord put in my heart, you're going to expand again. You're going to be involved in the marketplace. You're going to be involved in ministry. You're going to do both because that's what, that's what I want you to do. And uh, so I started a consulting firm and then I also started a couple of businesses uh, as well. And uh, ever since then, it's been almost 12 years, been working with ministries, uh, small and large of all types, um, helping them fulfill what God has called them to do. And uh, so it's a privilege to, to be able to, to help churches and ministries. It's just in my heart. It's in my DNA. I love business, but, you know, uh, we all have that in our heart where we want to do, uh, we want to kind of be involved in ministry. And so I really right. have right. had a great journey in that aspect right. of it. Fantastic. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that with us. That was a short intro, right? Hey, really good. So we're going to take a little bit of time and talk about this new economy you know we're we're sitting here in may of 2020 and 
um, a lot of churches and nonprofits and other businesses are staring at this big unknown. And so what I had on my list to talk about today is what you think are some financial adjustments they need to make. Then we're going to talk about an organization's uh, internal culture and how you see that uh, migrating and being impacted. And then we're going to talk about how do they how do they strategize moving forward post shutdown? The fourth thing we're going to talk about is how do they go out into this uh, digital world and have that same feeling and presence that they do of people in the pew and yet safeguard everybody, including um, their, their outreach. Um, and then the next thing would be how do all those things affect their structure? I know you get involved heavily um, with your attorney in these issues talking about organizational structure. Is any of that impacted as you go from being local church to streaming broadcasting? And then naturally you can't control those waves. So we're talking about crossing state lines, international boundaries. And then um, the issue with all of that is it resonates with your board. All right. Mm -hmm. So if we could start with the financial adjustments, as, as you know, in good times and in bad, um, cash flow in a church, just like every business, is really critical. How do you see that in this, what I'm calling a new economy post-lockdown? Do you see anything happening there? You know, Things I that they need to be aware of? I say, you know, in any business, uh, whether you're in God's business or your own personal business, I mean, cash is king. And so having liquidity or, or being able to plan as our parents and our family, you know, would say to us, you got to plan for a rainy day. And I highly recommend churches have, you know, excess cash for operating purposes. It's not always, e it's not always easy to do because we really, you know, we're very need driven. So we feel like if we have money in the bank and it's not being put to good use because we want to help people. Uh, but remember, we have to have a healthy organization in order for you to help people. If you're hurting yourself, you can't help hurting people. And so I encourage churches and ministries to, to try to have several, you know, two, three, maybe up to six months worth of cash available. Um, because I think this is a prime example. I mean, I'm 51 years old. I have never seen anything like this before. And I've traveled the world. So I've seen pandemics. I've seen natural disasters. We've been in the middle of a lot of those to help people. But we, you know, as ministries, especially the ones that I've been involved in, staying healthy, we have to stay healthy to be able to help people. And, uh, you know, so you can have a cash reserve. You can use your missions funds to do some of those things. So, because, you know, when something like this happens, you want to be able to help people. You can also work with your bank. Um, you know, a lot of ministries, you know, have great relationships with banks. Um, I have great relationships with my bank. So maybe a line of credit is a good thing to have just in case. Uh, again, 51 years, I've never had to do anything like that. I've always operated with, you know, in the black and having cash and doing those kind of things. But, you know, it's nice to be able to have. Um, and I always look at the impact of a, of a catastrophic event or something like this. You know, and I do believe that what we're going through right now is temporary. You know, we can identify 
this is a pandemic. This is a something that has happened and it has made us change or stop what we're doing. It's not going to be perpetual. It's not like a collapse of an economy or it's not like, you know, we had a hurricane and the whole country got devastated or whatever the situation may be. It's more like, you know, we have it to put a pause. And so when you see those kind of things in business, you realize it's not going to be for the next two years. It may take a time to recover, but having a line of credit or just having cash and then having great donors. I mean, there are a lot of people, not every industry is suffering. Right. And so the Lord spoke to me uh, literally like a month before all this started to happen. And I shared it with a couple of my ministry friends is do not be afraid to ask for help. And I think, you know, we've got to set pride aside and say, look, I need your help. And I saw this in ministries that I was involved in before. And when they asked for help, people were like, yeah, we want to help, especially if you're a ministry that's very solvent, uh, that you're not utilizing all the money just to pay for, you know, electricity. Uh, people really want to, you know, there are people who are designed to participate in, in your ministry, especially when things aren't going well. When there's a, right. you can say, hey, 100% of all the proceeds are going to go directly to help those who are hurting. I think people are more excited to give to that than it's like, hey, can you help us keep the power lights on? Right. I mean, to me, I think that's much more. So position yourself to when these things do happen, that God can really use you. Because like, I know ministries on both sides, ministries that are really struggling to keep their lights on and ministries that have had their best months ever. Okay. And those who were more prepared are thriving uh, in this situation and they're growing. All right. So you're saying that this requires a time to be, well, in the business world, we would call this being lean and mean. And yeah. the church world, we call that being responsible with his money. Yes. Now, some of the boards out there might feel, or pastoral leaders might feel, you know, that's not really right to sit on his money. Mm -hmm. um, can you speak into that a little bit? If, if, if I were one of your um, uh, church consulting clients and I said, you know, John, I just, that just doesn't sit right with me to sit on money like that. Uh, and, and what would be your response? Well, the Bible tells us to leave an inheritance for our children's children. Does that mean that we have a plan to leave multi-generations of generations, what, over 100 years? So that's 200 years worth of money or planning. So does that mean that we leave enough money or we leave a plan? I think you do both. And I think okay. for us to, to say that, hey, this money is sitting in an account waiting for it to be, I think the Bible commands that. I think if we're going to leave an inheritance, how do you leave an inheritance with no money? And so I think the Bible is pretty clear that it says, leave an inheritance for your children's children. So to me, that means that's 200 years. So either we have a 200 year plan or we have enough money for 200 years. Okay. But I think what we could do is we could be smart and say, we have to have reserves because these situations can happen and we don't want to become insolvent. We don't want to be the people who need the help when we are supposed to be helping people and uh, we need to be ready. So I encourage them to, to be responsible. And you know what? You sleep a whole lot better when you're solvent. That's Absolutely. just honest, right? In anything. I mean, when I was the executive pastor of a church, I'm like, when we had some money, we had comfort, you know, in a good way, we could pay our staff. I mean, we could do things like that. And we don't want to be reliant. I mean, thank God that, that um, the government allowed churches to participate in, in a lot of these relief programs, which they haven't before. And they allow churches to participate. What a blessing because it, it kept a lot of churches afloat, to be honest, a lot of ministries. Hmm. And, um, Thank God for that, because it, it would have been really, really tough. I know ministries that I work with that would not have survived. All right. 
Um, when you talk about uh, financial resources to tap into, one of the things that comes to mind myself is a lot of these CARES Act programs, um, the PPP, which helps cover payroll or loans. Are these things, to your knowledge, available to churches and nonprofits? Absolutely. And it's actually the first time that we have really seen uh, that kind of action from the federal government that allowed churches and non-for-profits to participate in the PPP program was really great because it's like it's one, you can give it directly to your staff. And in these situations, unlike a regular business like a salon or a medical spa like I own as well, if you're not open, you know, your staff isn't there. But right. in the church during these times, you're going to keep people on because you want them to deal with people's mental situations and spiritual well-being. So you don't necessarily provide a service when it comes to like a widget or things like that, but you are, I mean, this is the time where more people need you uh, as a spiritual leader in their lives. And so to be able to keep a staff on when thing, when money isn't coming in as robust as it typically does. Uh, and it's not that some people didn't have the money, they just got scared and they were like, okay, I need to, hold, I need to keep my money a little bit longer so right. that I know what's going to go on. So they delayed perhaps giving, which I think that's what we've seen in churches. Okay. Uh, but the PPP program was able to, if you utilize, and it's forgivable. I mean, it's like you're going to get money to pay your staff and pay your rent and pay interest on your mortgage if that's what you have and, and pay for utilities. And, and it's forgivable if you use it the right way. Wow. Okay. Ooh, that's, that's like a blessing. That's beautiful, John. Thanks for sharing all of that. Sure. Let's go on to the next topic that talks about, um, a churches or nonprofits, what I call organizational internal culture. And prior to um, the COVID-19 pandemic and the lockdown, I can't say it was necessarily a relaxed or a luxurious feel for the employees. Uh, but I would imagine a lot of organizations out there, their employees are a little stretched, they're a little thin. I know with ours, um, half of our staff works remote anyway, but they've got their spouse home, they've got their children home, they're having a homeschool during this time. Um, what are the things that you think come to mind that leadership in a nonprofit or a church and the whole board needs to take into consideration for their employees and keeping that culture going. Well, and I think that, you know, just based on my experience, when I was at a church up in St. Joseph, Missouri, um, you know, we kind of had a little bit of a variance in our schedules. Uh, you know, us business types like to get to work early, early, sure. you know, early worm gets the early bird gets the worm. And, yeah. but then, you know, we had our praise and worship pastor who was incredible. Well, he's not going to get up at five in the morning or six in the morning to go to the office anyway, because yeah. his creativity is probably more in the evening. He was probably writing music until three in the morning. So I think learning your team in regardless of these types of situations is so important. And then being able to maximize them where they're at, okay. you know, even, even as preachers and pastors and heads of churches, we always say, you know, I always call it the 80-20 rule. Focus on what you love and then hire or staff your needs around that. I mean, excellent advice. We all love sports, right? We love the Joe Montanas and all of these great heroes of sports, but not can you Tom imagine? Brady. No, not Tom Brady. Not Tom Brady. <laughs> but think of this. Okay. What if, and maybe you would hope this, what if Tom Brady focused all of his energy on his, on his you know, free throw? Well, first of all, he doesn't play that sport. 
<laughs> and he could say, but I'm not really good at it, but I should be because I'm a really good, you know, I'm sure. a really good athlete. Okay. And what do we want him to focus on? We want him to focus on maybe, you know, being able to score a lot of touchdowns, not his free throw in basketball because he says he's not that good at it. And so I think we sometimes try to focus ourselves on what we are not good at. Okay. And say, let's focus on what we're good at. And so I think in these times, it'll, you know, try to find ways for your team to work and be productive, no matter what or where they're at. And so I was always a big believer of not everybody had to be at the same place at the same time. I think everybody had to be available during a window of time. And I look in larger ministries, you know, they maybe have a, you know, it's a little bit, you have to kind of work through those schedules, but maybe some people start at six and some at seven and some at eight, but then everybody has to be there at nine for meetings. Right. So you have a flex schedule. Right. Uh, I know like television producers, I mean, they don't need an hour at a time. They need segments of time, like three or four hours. So give some flexibility to your team. I mean, if they love what they're doing, they're going to, you're going to get more out of them if they're really in their, in their environment. I mean, the environment that you would create for an accountant is so different from that of a television producer or a worship pastor. And so kind of help them a little bit. You want to draw, I think a good, a good leader is going to draw the gift from the people that they are under. No different than when you go preach. If you preach and your crowd is quiet, you better change up your, your messaging style. Or, and that's or very true within on. an organization's culture. As soon yep. as your no people difference. get quiet on you, you're in trouble. Right. And learn to okay. hear from them and be like, what makes you more productive? I mean, are you, because you're not interested in them just clocking in and clocking out. You're interested in the results that they're giving you. And the more flexibility you give, they'll become more appreciative. And then you draw from their gift and you get a better result. Okay. Now, you do a lot of advising and teaching and setting up um, uh, board policy. And um, there's these words that get thrown around current time of leadership and management style. And two of them I can think of are pivoting to the new economy. But the one that applies to me a lot with our board of directors out there is transparency. Now, I am sure that you've worked with an awful lot of boards and you've got some that believe in transparency with their employees, with their staff, with their congregation. And you've got some that, you know, they kind of like to say, well, you know, the issues we work on and talk about are private to the board. Can you talk about that as it applies to employee culture and how the employees yes. might be worried and concerned about their future? And, uh, yeah. I mean, I think that the more transparent um, an organization is, the more support they get. I mean, okay. one of the organizations that I mentioned that I worked for, Joyce Meyer Ministries, um, they have complete transparency with their, if you go onto their website and you go into their um, disclosures and their financials and all of that. I mean, you know exactly what they're doing with the resources and um, you know, they share information, they share, you know, what their, what their salaries are. Um, and so I think that that's so important because as a donor, I believe you're an investor, right? You're investing into the kingdom and you should know a little bit more about the organization. I think we have a responsibility as, as responsible givers to know kind of where the resources are going. You don't, I don't want to direct where they're going. And I don't think you can do that anyway. There's some IRS uh, guidelines for that. You know, you can't tell them here's, some, you're going to use this money for the way I tell you to use this money. Right. Um, it, it, you can't direct the funds, but I think, you know, knowing how they're utilizing them to make sure that what you're sowing into is giving you better results. I, I, I think that I recommend that for everybody that I work with is 
be as transparent as you would want someone to be transparent backwards. Put the shoe on the other foot. I always like to do that. I always like to see, well, how do they view it? Because I'm not trying to do anything wrong. If you're being transparent, um, now, can you over-communicate? I think you need to be wise in, in how you're communicating. And uh, if the Lord's, I don't share my vision with everybody. Uh, I believe sometimes it's new to me. The Lord gives it to me and I have to understand it. I may not understand in the beginning how it's going to work. And so, but I think having trans, the more transparent you are, to be honest, the more resources you're going to get. People are going to donate more to you. I think the public. Um, Agreed, kind of 100%. I think the public, public expects that we're going to be honest and we're going to be fair. And unfortunately, there's been some out there, you know, like as, as in anything yep. that haven't been forthright and maybe they're not doing things right. But you know what? The Lord exposes it. He right. exposes it. And if you gave it out of uh, good intentions, out of your heart, the Lord is still going to bless you. He's not going to let your seed go to waste. He's going to, he's still going to bless you because you did what you were supposed to do. You did it with the right intention. If they misused it, God's going to hold them accountable. And you and I have seen people come and go. I always like that VH1 or MTV, whatever that is, is where are they now? And mm -hmm. you, all of yeah. us can think of people yeah. that were like riding high. And then all of a sudden, where are they? Where'd they right. go? And uh, because I believe that that protection of God comes off of people when they start doing things that they shouldn't be doing. And so transparency to me is very important um, because I think people just want to give to something that they know what's happening. So in essence, you're saying that um, we as leaders in our church bodies, we often refer to the word as our guidebook as the decision maker and here's how you should do things. And you believe that's true in business also? Yeah, I believe that 100%. Okay. Yeah, I, I totally believe that. I think, that, especially with the trans, I mean, just we, why not be transparent if you're doing nothing wrong? We all know that if you're a head of a larger organization that you're going to do well. Why not? I mean, you have a tremendous responsibility. I expect people in business and people in ministry to be successful if they've got successful organizations. Okay. And there's a lot of stipulation with the IRS. I mean, you can't just decide your salary. You're like, okay, I'm going to make this. I mean, your board of directors determines your salary. And the organizations that we work with have independent uh, compensation studies done, which is uh, Dan, our attorney, does a lot of those compensation studies where they do evaluations and, and they do comparisons to other ministries of likeness. And, and that's a huge protection. So I, I, you know, you want to make sure if you're a board member that, number one, the board's deciding that, which is required uh, by IRS code. And then I go, go the extra mile and have an independent, uh, independent compensation uh, board make, make those recommendations and keep yourself transparent. I mean, if I was a pastor of a church, I wouldn't want to have to sit there and I mean, vote on my own salary or things like that. We just say, let other people help you be blessed. And, and people understand that. I mean, Amen. I understand if you're operating a huge organization, you're not going to make $50 a week, you know? So, I mean, if not, you, you, you know, you could, you could go and work in the private sector. I mean, we have to be responsible too, that we, we take care of our people. We take care of our staff. Um, if I have a great accountant on my team as a ministry, I mean, we're in the competitive marketplace. I mean, they could go work for Deloitte and Tush. So I don't, I want them to be well compensated by ministry as well. You know, the Bible says hey. you're worthy of a wage, right? You're worthy yeah. of your hire. You're worthy of a gift. So the next topic I wanted to talk about, if I could, if I could kind of set the stage for this discussion point. Um, so over the last endless numbers of decades, um, most churches have been, um, their ultimate goal is to fill every spot in the pew. Um, that, 
that social side of the church. And now we're talking about um, churches only being able to say a third to a quarter their capacity because almost all our clients we've talked to, I'm sure with yours too, is they have to still abide by the social distancing rules. All right. So that can cut down your capacity in a church by a third or a quarter. And during the shutdown, a lot of these churches have adapted to online streaming services all alone. Now you've got a mix of this. How do you foresee this, this playing out? Do you see most churches keep doing both? Do you see them moving back away from streaming and trying to take this in-house? Um, have you heard from any of your clients what, yeah, what they're I, again, planning to do there? Yeah, I, I think the majority are going to do both. Uh, I think it's wisdom to do both. Um, again, you and I work with a lot of the same clients at times, and I think those that have had both are doing very well right now. Yep. I do believe the ecclesia concept of, of the church, and that is where the church comes together. Uh, I do believe in the, you know, laying the hands of, laying on, physically laying the uh, hands on people and praying for them. I believe in all of that. Um, and, uh, you know, again, 51 years, we haven't seen this before. So I, right. I personally don't want to step away from going to church, sitting in the pew or the chair and being able to be involved. There's, there's nothing like going to a live event. I mean, right. we can, we can talk about that all day long and we can make the cases, but you know what we human beings need human interaction. And, um, you know, it, you, we're going to gather again. And, uh, and, and I think for now, social distancing is important just because we're, we don't know this, this, this disease, this virus, it's, it's just the unknown. But I think in time, we'll begin to understand it more and more and more. And we'll go, we'll go back to human, human behavior. I always say I like a high touch business and yeah, we can so have high tech as well. That's right. And you can do both. Right. And, right. uh, but when we have situations like this and we can say, Hey, we have to social distance and we have, we have a plan. I think it all comes down to a plan, right? I think you have to have a plan. That's right. Then you implement the plan and then if then gather and it's going to take a while for people to get back to church yeah. because it's, they're, they're nervous, they're scared and that's normal. And, but I think once people start to do it and we see things kind of stay uh, level uh, with the infectious rate and all of that, I think people will go back to that. I mean, I think we love the interaction. I mean, I don't know about you, but if I was preaching a sermon, I don't want to do it to an empty room. <laughs> I mean, you, you kind of feed off the crowd, right? I mean, even musicians will tell yeah. you that, you know, the rolling, can you imagine the rolling stones doing, we're aging, our, we're dating ourselves, Thomas, but can you imagine the rolling stones <laughs> doing a concert in an empty, in an empty arena? I mean, it's not the same or, or, or yeah. you know, yeah. the, the, you know, your favorite football team having an empty stadium. I mean, so we do uh, long for human connection and humor interaction, but, and we will go back there. Uh, but I think we need to be prepared. Uh, I don't believe that this is the last pandemic that we'll see. But we, if we don't learn from it, then that's our fault. Right. Well, the first time, you know, it's a disaster and it is what it is. But the second time, shame on us if we haven't learned. And, uh, but we need to, and then, and then you can also make the case. You have people that are shut-ins that can't leave. And they need, to, they need a church too. And so I do believe that that can extend to them via, you know, being able to watch online and, uh, and you do such, your organization does such a wonderful job doing that. I'm a, I'm a fan well, of thank you. people John. making plans. And uh, I've been watching my church uh, online. And there's times, too, when I travel and I can't. And so I, I can go online and take a look at it and, and get the message that I need. And so I, I just think it's the future. I think we've, we've seen it. 
coming yeah. along anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, millennials think a little bit differently. So they, we have to adhere to them. We have to take the gospel to them wherever they're at. I think right, if, right. if Jesus right, was here, right. he would be doing the same thing. He'd be doing what you and I are doing right now. He'd be just, he's going to be talking to people, be with people, be online. And I mean, you know. Best guidebook for life and business ever. Yeah, absolutely. It, it works all the way around. It just, it really is a great blueprint that the Bible just really helps us with everything. And, and we apply it uh, in business and we apply it into the church as well. I mean, it's just amazing. Okay. So the next topic we're going to talk about is we've been discussing the importance of uh, being responsible with donor money mm -hmm. and liquidity, having a great culture within your church. And then we talked about um, the church is having to adapt to social distancing in-house. Mm -hmm. Then you're talking about churches that will have a minimal appearance in-house and be streaming at the same time. That brings us into our world at Viral Solutions where we think of information and data and networking. Have you been hearing anything from any of your church clients as far as uh, cyber threats or their donors worried about how safe it is to give online or any, any of that information? And that's something that we've been dealing with all along, more so now because people are online uh, more and more and more and people impersonating other ministries. I mean, we get that all the time. So I think, right. you know, uh, the importance of educating, you know, you have to be proactive. You don't want to be always in a reactive position. Reaction is, is never the best uh, solution to anything. A great plan, and you'll hear me talk about that, that I love a plan because I do believe that a great plan puts you in a better position for the Holy Spirit to take over and do something with it. If you give nothing to the Holy Spirit, then how do you, I mean, if you don't have any idea how to do anything, I mean, God gave us wisdom and knowledge. And, and even if you look back in the Bible, the disciples spoke about the subject of salvation. And they made this comment that I really love. They said, it seemed good to us and to the Holy Ghost. Wow. They thought about it. And so I, if, I think if we don't have anything to give or submit, then how do we know where to even start? And so I think that when, I think God loves it. I think when, when we provide a plan and we say, here's our plan. And you go, Ooh, I love that you're thinking. And then he just adds extra to that and makes it happen. And so I think that we need to have a plan uh, to be able to do all of that. And so I, I, I just, I just encourage everyone, you've got to have a plan and then you implement your plan. And I think when you do that, so you, you think just, God was a planner. Oh my God. Well, he left us the Bible, right? <laughs> I mean, he thought way ahead. I mean, he, you he think knew that every one of God's plans worked perfectly. I think that we mess it up at times. Okay. I think his plans are perfect. And then we okay. try to overly interpret those plans and we mess Amen. them up. And we, we try to think too hard. And well I think said. it's simple. I think it's simple. You know, when you try to fight with somebody, you try to pick a side, the Bible says, love your neighbor. <laughs> That's like, oh, great. Thanks. I mean, he, there was even those things in the Bible where it's like, I don't want you to forgive those people. I want you to kill them. One of my nope. neighbors, he may not admit. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I, I think the, the gospel is very simple and we can tend to make it complicated. And, and so the, the key to some of that too is just forgive, okay. you know, just forgive and move forward and, and love each other and believe the best in each other. And, you know, we don't always know what people are going through and the circumstances are going through. And so, uh, you know, we're okay. human beings. We're not perfect. Yeah. I know things that we've put together for our church clients um, with, um, online donating and mixing the in-house donating and the online into the same system. 
Uh, I've been in sales and marketing for 30 years, but nine years of building systems like that, we've never been hacked. Right. Um, and I think so, that's really important to make sure that you yeah. have some, let people like you, I'm not a techno, technology person. I know enough to get me in trouble, but hire good people to help you with that. Get the experts in there and uh, make sure that you have a good process and make sure that, you know, your logos are patented uh, or trademark, trademark. Right. right. And uh, making sure that, the, that you're communicating to your people. And uh, I even do that. If I get a phone call, I'll call back, you know, give me the, I'll call the ministry back and make a donation or things like, if I have any question that it's like, is this the right organization? Are they calling me? Is this really them? Do you, actually, so you're saying, you're saying that you think donors out there are cautious of organizations that might have an appearance of being a little loose in their processes online, yes. receding and safety yes. and think you think so? Because they don't understand it all. I mean, they think they do. Okay. They feel like, okay, we're doing this, we're collecting money, it's coming this way. But you've got it's a very it's a very uh, technological, you know, scientific process. Right. Make sure you're using reputable merchant services. You know, your yes. bank is always a good resource to use that. Make sure that the data, you know, that they have good security aspects mm -hmm. of every major organization mm -hmm. that I work with, they are so solid in that area. I'll tell you this funny story. I worked very closely to a ministry, pretty large ministry. And uh, I got a, a friend request uh, from the ministry on Facebook. And then they started asking me for uh, donations, like, you know, with, and it seemed relatively legitimate, to be honest. Well, then I'm also at the same time texting the head of the organization and all of this. And so now I'm beginning to have this conversation online with this individual trying to collect money. And the moment that I said, Hey, by the way, I'm a senior advisor to this person. And we're going to notify the authorities and they, man, they just blocked me so fast, but they were so convincing. And so yeah. I had insight, of course, cause I knew the organization. I was talking to the, the founder of the organization on my text messaging. Well, I am actually messaging this Facebook uh, of his, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, I think, and, and we do this all the time. I'm dealing with an organization out of Australia that people keep stealing their pictures and you, and opening up, you know, Facebook accounts and, the, and, and we try our best I and mean, we communicate to Facebook and, but it's much easier when you have uh, a trademark on your logos and things like that, they'll take them down a little bit quicker uh, right. when they do that. So we do highly recommend that, but then inform your people, look, the only place you're going to donate is if you come to our website and that's how well, you're going to. What a lot of, uh, churches and nonprofits don't know is that if the name of your church or nonprofit isn't trademark protected, yep. then I, your, I know a lot of churches and nonprofits don't like to think about the fact that they actually have competition for a donor, but I have seen where a name of a church or a nonprofit was used in say for example a google search mm -hmm. and that competing church was drawing in based upon what they typed in and they were able to pay google to draw that traffic in because google said hey that isn't a trademark yeah. protected term that is correct and that is to me is super important to protect your okay. intellectual property whether it how be hard is that to do it's not. I mean, we do them all the time. I mean, it's not hard for us and it's not, it's not really expensive. It's just something that people don't think about until they, someone starts to steal their names or start to impersonate them. And then when you try to enforce, some people say, well, you know, I've used it forever. And so I have the first right, unless you have it filed 
with the uh, patent or trademark offices, any of those kind of things, they're not enforceable in a court of law. That okay. I have learned. I thought, well, okay. you know, you have it on there. That's because you, you hear people say, well, as long as you put copy written by, you know, first right and all of that kind of stuff, but you cannot literally uh, file a lawsuit, is my understanding, unless it is registered uh, with those, uh, you know, with like the U.S. patent offices and copyright offices uh, of the U.S. government. So we highly recommend that, and um, it's not a, it's it's not a it's not a process that you should try to do yourself, but we. Uh, we have le- we have a legal team uh, in my consulting firm that we do that all the time. It's it's a simple pro- and then we'll help you. Hey, your logo is really not protectable. You know, you don't have it properly designed. We also have a you know, you and I work with Sayla, uh, a yep. good friend of ours, and she's a branding expert. And I work with her a lot when it comes to love these her dearly. Yeah, they create logos that really work. Uh, the whole thing is a look and an image, and, and you want to keep that. Uh, you know, you want to. So it's 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 a process, but I think everybody needs to do that because, again. You only worry about it when you call me and you go, somebody's stealing our identity and t- collecting money. What do we do? And then we're going to go back to the same steps. You've got to have it. you got to have it, you know, trademarked and we need to help you with that. And so that we can enforce it And the people like Facebook and they, they look at things differently when they are, um, when they do have a trademark on them. Okay. So that kind of leads us into point five, where we're going to talk about the structure of an organization. So imagine this. You're talking about a church operating on, say, a Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. Pretty typical, the standard. Uh, but they also have, say, oh, Bible studies during the week. And some of that's going to start coming back into the building. Um, then we've got what we, you and I have been referring to as the local and county and state laws for social distancing But then you also have these guidelines put out by the CDC. Mm -hmm. And those have to do with um, public health guidance, um, maintaining uh, flex work hours for somebody who may have contracted COVID-19 within their home. how do you see all of this affecting what would normally be human resource policies or policies on absenteeism or um, impacting the, uh, the essential functions of the church? Right. How does the church board, um, so this goes beyond culture, this goes into structure right. and, and right. kind of rules that a business has and a church has and a board tends to install. Do you see any of this impact from state, local, yeah. county, CDC's recommendations coming into Absolutely. play? Absolutely. I mean, I, I think we're we're walking in a, in a new era, you know, because of this and how it impacts churches and, and how governments and churches work together. And, you know, first and foremost, I'm not an attorney, but I talk to one all the time. Right. And, uh, and I always lean on him to really help with some of these guidances. And the, what I've kind of learned in the process is flexibility is, you know, uh, don't don't worry about um, if if it's the you know worry more about it being the right thing to do for your people and your staff versus is it what I you know it are they trying to tell me what to do because you know it, uh, something that churches always talk about is the government's trying to tell me what to do and the fact of the matter is let's be reasonable uh, we do have constitutional rights of course uh, but when you get into the situation like we have seen in a pandemic I mean. You know, we all can agree that probably not hugging everybody 
having a thousand people in a room is probably the, the smartest thing to do right now. Is it yeah. your constitutional right? Uh, you know, we can say that that's very true, but we also need to use wisdom. And, um, you know, there's, there's going to be this ongoing battle between, you know, what we're seeing kind of develop. But I, all of our clients, we've said, look, let's err on the side of caution and let's do the social distancing. Let's close our churches for now. We're not giving away our rights, um, but we, we need to take a moment to pause in wisdom and be like, okay, this is real. I mean, people are legitimately, people are dying from this disease, from this virus, because we don't understand it. You know, we mm-hmm. don't understand it. Mm-hmm. new to us. We don't understand it. And there, there is nothing wrong with pausing. Uh, but then be flexible with your team. You know, say, hey, you know, let's just have half of you here. If you can, if you can have them work from home, and you'll comment, look, remember, People come to work for you because they want to. And if you want the best and brightest, you make it good for them to work for you. And people come to church because they want to too. And it's not, we're not in an environment where you have to come to church or you have to work for me. Be smart. Most of the churches we work with, we've noticed that they're um, taking a lot of the same precautions other businesses are like your salon, Mm -hmm. where they're having to think about cleanliness of the building beyond just dusting we're talking about <laughs> sterilization sanitization right it's the cleanest places in the world right now yep, it's awesome yep. I, I, if it, i could fly know, every really day is. i would <laughs> you know it really is maybe maybe with some of that this has been a blessing yeah we're learning we're learning that look we have to be smart too we can't just rely on you know flying by the seat of our pants that's just not a good plan it's like we need to have these things in place and we need to be smart and i think that those that are going to thrive so the attorney you work with in your consulting group, uh, please feel free to uh, mention who that is, John. Yeah, Dan Beirute and I have worked together for 12 or 13 years. Dan okay. is a brilliant mind. Uh, yeah. He is very sharp. He is very, I love because he gives solid advice. It's not emotional advice. It's solid advice. And then he says, this is what we can do. And and um, he'll, he won't say this, but he's a Harvard grad. And so I, I like people that are smart. And I surround mm-hmm. myself with people that are smart. And I listen to them. You know, you have to listen to him. And when I bring things up to him and he's like, you know, I don't think that that's, you know, it's, we can't legally support that. And then I tell my clients and they're like, we totally understand. And, uh, you know, we've always been, there's been a lot of questions when it comes to the constitutionality of churches being closed. And, and we just feel like that that's right now, the prudent thing to do is to pause. And uh, we feel like that's important. And I don't feel like they're not picking on one church or the other right now that you have to be closed and you have to be open. I think it's in general. I think it's wisdom for everybody to pause right now. It's not indefinite. They're not closing churches forever. How do you balance the, let's talk about this constitutional right to gather versus being responsible for the health of your flock, right? Yeah, yeah. I think right now what we have seen is, and we've seen in history, just me from a from a from a non-attorney standpoint, we've seen history kind of favor when these things happen, when the health of a community is at stake. We have seen the courts be pretty flexible with allowing the government to say, "Look, for the betterment of humanity, scientifically speaking, we need to pause," and we've seen the courts be okay with that. Um, I think if it goes beyond, you know. Uh, certain amount of time. And, and we can kind of see as, as we have, you know, we had a, an increase and we flattened the curve and then it's going down, down. And I think if we keep going and it keeps going down, down, and then they still want to keep churches closed. I think we'll get into a constitutional issue and people like Dan would, would have be more involved. But I think for right now, pausing has not been a, a bad thing. 
Okay. Um, and we do, we don't want our people in our congregations to get sick. I mean, I, I don't want right. my staff either to be sick. Right. And so I'm not, I, I always say, look, I don't, I don't want to put people in a position um, and also don't want to put people in a position to be in, in, in a dangerous situation, but also don't want to violate people's constitutional rights. We have constitutional rights as well as individuals not to forsake assembling and things like that. And, and again, I'm not an attorney, but I look at it from this, from the. A lot of aspect. those constitutional rights were based upon yeah. biblical teachings were they yeah. not yeah absolutely and we want to and we want to have good faith too and just saying just because they're telling us we, they're violating my constitutional rights i get that um but at the same time i would pause anyway because this this we don't know enough about this virus and yes it's you know we can we can make the case for or against all the time but i'm just saying there's nothing wrong with taking a step back and saying let's listen for a minute let's pause and listen and see what the situation is, and then we can make assessments, not be reactionary. And uh, I do think are you, that church- Are you advising your boards then to uh, document their plans and yes. you know this spacing issue and sanitization issue and how you're Absolutely. letting people in and out of the building? And are yes. you advising your boards to make sure that they keep everything documented? They need to have a good protocol. This? They need to have a very strong level of communication the CDC is a good resource for that. Uh, even your local communities. I live in the city of St. Louis in, in, in St. Louis, Missouri, and uh, they issue guidance even just for churches, which I think is great yep. because it says you need to have social distancing, you need to have this. And I think, to be honest, I, I found them to be very helpful. I they mean, are very look, helpful. I, I'm, I'm not a big lover of, of government at, at all. But I have found in some of this that some of their structure and suggestions are right on point. Well, and we can't think that government's always bad people. Government people are yeah. us. I mean, you yeah. know, we are we are the government. And so we need to use wisdom. Are some government employees Christians? Absolutely. And so are some IRS agents. Wow. <laughs> you know? And so, I mean, I think it's important that we use wisdom. I think we just need to think a little bit. And okay. uh, <clears throat> I think we just need to use wisdom and use knowledge. And, and I think we're smart enough. I mean, you got doctors in your churches and you've got yeah. healthcare professionals, you got business people and get them right. together, form a task force and say, how do we do this? How do we do Those this? Those create we, the greatest boards. They really do because there's mm -hmm. some diversity in that. There's some wisdom yeah. in that. And uh, I, I appreciate those pastors of large influential churches who have said, look, we are going to take a step back. We want to be responsible. I don't want 17,000 people in my building right now. I don't think it's wisdom. Could I do it? Yeah. I mean, but do I want to do that? No, I want to be smart. I want to take care of my people. I want to, you know, and so I think, you know, we, I think wisdom is so important and then having a, an executable plan and, you know, leaning on the CDC guidelines on your local officials and then try to be a partner with them because they want you to succeed as well. They're, they're, they're not out to get you. They're out yeah. to make sure that they don't have people dying. And right. So we want to use wisdom there. Okay. So, John, thank you so much for joining us. And You're so welcome. I look forward to doing more of these. Yeah, absolutely. And this discussion, was there anything in the previous points that you'd thought of that you might want to mention? You know, I just plan, plan, and plan. And I don't think you can over plan. I think that when you have a plan and it's, it's just it's so important and, and everything that I do with churches and non-for-profits and then also the business world, I talk about having a business plan. And maybe that's something you and I can can talk about. I would love to help people put their business plans together because that is kind of the Bible when it comes to the fundamentals of your business practice, whether it be a, a, in a religious environment, a church, or it's in, a, in, in building medical spas or salons or whatever, bookstores uh, or retail outlets. I mean, I think having a plan is so important because it allows you the ability to kind of think ahead 
and be able to think of what if and what if and what if. You can't always do everything, but I think the more prepared you are, the better it's executed, the better the better you you function and the more sustainable you are and, and you stick around. Let me tell you, in this environment, there's a lot of businesses that are not going to be around. Yeah. I hope that it's not a ton because I want us to thrive as a country, uh, but there are going to be some people that don't come back because they, they didn't have enough structure to sustain themselves through these difficult times. Sad. Yeah, very sad. Okay. John, how would uh, somebody get a hold of you? Well, they can, uh, they can go to our web, they can go to my website, uh, www.johncastaneda.com, or they can also uh, reach out to me uh, at 314-620-1499. And I'd be happy to talk to them. And uh, I'm, I'm a resource. I'm here to help. I've always loved to help people in ministry and in business. And my goal is just to uh, uh, get them to get to a place where they're doing exactly what they love. And that is uh, living the dream. That's beautiful, John. Yeah, thank hey, you. Thanks a lot. We'll uh, be talking to you, you again so soon. Yeah, everybody be excited. We, we have a great future. All right. Thank you. You bet.